Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 80 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ Payne here, your humble host. And on this week's edition of Thrive, I need you to do a couple of things. I need you to put on that crash helmet, make sure you're wearing non-combustible clothing, strap yourself in because we are going to take off. We've got one goal for this episode, and that is to start catching up. We have been lingering over the beginning of Genesis. There is so much to get through, but on this week's episode, we need to catch up. We need to fly through, I don't know, three, four, five chapters to catch up. So that's our goal. Hopefully, you've got some questions, you've been doing your reading, and you've been thinking about Abraham and this life of faith. So let's see if we can get through it today on this week's episode of Thrive Deeper. It's going to be a big one. Are you ready? Did I make any sense last week? Yeah, you did, Any actually. sense at all? I I did. Yeah, because I was so <laughs> I was so sick, and I came away thinking DJ should have stopped me halfway through and said, "Matt, go home," because you d- sound like an idiot. You, 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 that's what I did the day before. You were worse the day before. Right? In fact, I think last week. Yeah. So I, I apologise for the last episode. I, I, you no, know. I think you sounded okay. okay. It was good. All right. Well, the, my, the funniest recollection I have of last week's episode is when I pulled the pin when I did because you were slowly going downhill. I could yeah. see. I could literally see your battery level going flat. Yeah. Well, there wasn't further. <laughs> there wasn't much further down the hill to go. But you were disappointed. You were like, oh, like, like I was taking a toy away from a child. Oh well, that's because we we were just getting onto this juicy story. <laughs> In uh, Genesis 18, and I wanted to talk about that. So, well, welcome to Thrive. We are going to fly through you, you, this. I'm, all I'm going to say is, strap your seatbelts on because we've got an ambitious plan for the next two episodes to really catch up to where you're reading at. We've been lingering because we've been savoring getting to know Abraham. Now we need to fly through because there's some massive parts of the story we need to get through. So we left off... uh, Which is, can let me say, which is okay, actually, because I think one of the problems that can happen when reading the biblical text is you get too caught up in the details. Yes. When actually a lot of what we need to see to uh, get the meaning of these stories is actually in a little bit more of a bird's eye perspective. Fantastic point. How does this story fit into the overall you know, because because there's you know it's written in an ancient context, and there's so many yeah. questions you get in, in, into the details. And yes. often, what happens is that people read these stories and they say, "What what is going on there? What does that mean?" What's yeah. and actually lose that perspective of or, what the story is doing as a whole and where it fits. Or if you're a nerd like us, you go, "Oh, look at this ancient name Abimelech. Oh, look, there's a there's a link here. Yeah, yeah, I can right. click on this and read yeah, all yeah, about Abimelech yeah, for the next two right. hours." And there's such a temptation for a for a nerd to go down and get get bogged into the details. So that's a great reminder, Matt. We're going to try to zoom out a little bit, fly a little bit higher over the text as we go mm. through. So we're picking it up in Genesis chapter. 18. Mm. We have Abraham and Sarah, and they get visitors. Mm. And it's interesting uh, the way that these stories work. So, uh, chapter 18, we have the angels come 
to Abraham to they're basically come to announce that he is going to have a child. So they're delivering this good news, as it were, and angels are often in this role as messengers of good news. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in fact, the Greek word good news is euangelion. Wow. Uh, so uh, it even has the word angels. You know, it's, it's a good message. And um, it's interesting to note how this story how forms a comparison, and, and there are lots of comparisons throughout Scripture. Uh, it's interesting to note the difference between Abraham's hospitality to these angels yes. and what's going to happen in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a contrast being made here between Abram on the one hand yes. and the cities, city of Sodom on the other hand yeah. in the way that they treat what essentially is God comes to them, yep. to them both, and how do they host, as it were, the presence of God? And that's a great note to, note to keep in the back of, back of your mind when we see Lot's behavior as well. Yeah, that's right. When he's, yeah. when he, when he's visited by angels. Yeah. So, the, so it starts off, and this is what I want to ask you straight up. The Lord appeared to, again to Abraham, and then he looked up, and there were three men standing yeah. by. So we get the I Lord know. and we get angels. Mm. Is this, to use a big word, I'll let you say the big word. Like, is this an appearance of you know the pre-incarnate Christ? Is this a what do they call it? A theophany? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's the right answer. You, you feel like the right answer would be to say yes, but that's not what the text yeah. is really saying. These are angels. Okay. Um, interestingly, in medieval iconography, yes. these three angels in the icon in yes. the iconography represent. The Trinity. Yeah. Now again, that's reading. I think too much. Uh, now I'm not saying it's it's definitely not, and and there is a tendency, I think, to want to find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament text, as though we've got to justify it by that somehow. I mean, that's a little bit of a caricature of that mm, uh, mm. approach. But there's no in- indication here that this is anything more than three angels, because angels are so ever present throughout the story we have this visitation of angels who on the one hand it'll it'll talk about and the angel said and on the other hand it'll say and the lord said yeah. quite interchangeably because god is speaking through these angels it's okay. as though it were god in the same we're going to get the same thing when we get to the story of jacob when jacob wrestles with well the man the angel mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. it's clearly the lord and we talk about Jacob wrestling with God. Yes. So you get this interchange between uh, is it a man? Is it an angel? Is it God? Well, it's all of those things, really. Mm, mm. And so um, there is a kind of uh, incarnation thing going on a bit, but it's quite different to the incarnation of Christ. Okay. Um, so there is God's presence here. I mean, we're quite clearly told that's that right. it is the that's Lord important. speaking. That's right. So, so the angels do represent God's presence in this sense, and so which is why I say that the contrast that's being set up here between Abraham and Sodom, uh, because Abraham is going to be blessed, and and Sodom, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, is under this curse, and that's going to be borne out by the way in which they effectively host God's presence represented mm. uh, in these angels. So, of course. Um, 
when Abraham sees uh, the angels, you know, he, he goes and he bows low to them and he, he begs them that they, that they will come and eat with him. And, and so hospitality is a very important, in, in the ancient world, is a very important indicator of something. It's, a, it's an important sort of gesture of godliness, really, mm, mm. particularly when actually it's God that's coming uh, to you. Now, yeah. I don't know if you remember in, the, um, in Hebrews 11, where it talks about, you know, that some have entertained angels unawares. Yeah. Uh, this is it's probably alluding, referring, alluding, alluding back to, this. To, uh, yeah. to Abraham. So straight away the visitors, are, well, the Lord is, is, is interested in, well, let me just, just say, you know, they roasted the meat, they had milk, yogurt, Sounds fantastic. I would love to have this Mediterranean meal right about now. I'm yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, the, the, the Lord is interested in, in Sarah, and uh, he, he basically gives a prophe- prophecy saying, this time next year you'll be having a, you, you will right. have a child. Yeah, and she laughs. And she laughs. And there's this great little interchange at the end uh, of this uh, where it says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And so, you know, is anything too hard for the Lord? And uh, Sarah says, was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, "Yes, you did laugh," and and that's like that section just yeah, ends yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. It's almost it's almost a little bit jovial, and I love how real the people we have here. You get this picture of Sarah sort of listening to it as a, as a wife does, yeah. you know, in, you know, getting things ready, getting people prepared, and she can hear them talking, and you hear the conversation in her own mind. You know, how can I'm not going to be sleeping with this old man? I'm an old woman. Yeah, you know, there's right, no yeah. what is going to, and she's very not. I'm not going to say graphic but she's very you know honest about yeah. where they're at in their life yeah. and uh she laughs at the thought you know yeah, and of course um that the, the, none of this is dependent on on really on them in the sense of the, these both abram and sarah are struggling along the way their faith mm. isn't a, a completely perfected yes. faith yes but it is faith it only takes oh. a mustard seed to move a mountain Amen. as jesus says and and uh, and so you get this Wavering faith, which I find very encouraging in yes, a way. Yes, yeah. amen. And, and and this is a great. I mean, we've got faith all the way along, but I think I, I'm, I'm going to say in the themes of the story we're we're listening to right now, we're reading about the theme of faith is simmering on the on mm. the on the pot, and it's going to boil up because we're going to get to a climax where faith. Is you know God yeah. is we're going to we come are, to yeah we're going to get to that so That's this right. is yeah. this is like a simmering of it here of of Sarah's imperfect faith but God says no no I'm going to do it yeah and I think this is why this is so drawn out for Abraham because God is really stretching his faith he's stretching their faith and he's about to stretch it even more when we get to Genesis 22 but we'll get to that so we get the last half of chapter 18 is. We hear a conversation within within God Himself saying, "Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Yes, I should. I've made this promise. He's going to become a great nation. Let me tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah." And He tells them. Uh, he tells them. About and Sodom. Th- whenever God does that, whenever God reveals something, yeah. it's for a purpose. It's never just for curiosity's sake. It's yep. always for a purpose. So, why does God reveal this? Because it it's 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 going to prompt something in Abraham. Now, this is an enormously important section yeah it's a very strange section the story of the interchange that's going to follow yes uh between god and abraham Mm. and it's interesting how many people have asked me about this passage what is going on you know Mm. abraham prays for sodom and says you know what if 50 righteous and anyway let's let me go back a step yeah 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 so just to summarize the story uh to 
um, remind our listeners. So God says, I'm going to reveal to Abraham what I'm going to do because, and this is the hint. This is the point. This is the uh, point. Because surely he will become a great and powerful nation. All the ends of the earth will be blessed through him. Mm-hmm. Hint, 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 right? Yep, yep, yep. And, then, and the next point, you know, and uh, they will, it will be direct his sons and his families to keep the way of the Lord. Like it's, it's, right. it's bigger than just Abraham himself. Yeah, it's yeah, descendants right. yeah. as well. So, and then he says this outcry has gone up about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm yep. going to go down and see if it's as bad as... It's, well, Abraham knows that it, that it is, yes. okay. Yes. And he knows that the city's done for. Now, he's concerned about this partly because his nephew Lot yeah. uh, is living there. That's but, it. This, but this prompts something in him yeah. where uh, he says, um, and it's interesting the way that it, it's put here. You know, it says, Abraham remains standing before the Lord. So the men turn away to go down to Sodom. The two angels. Abraham remains standing before the Lord. Yeah. And then he approached him. And the language around this is the kind of language that's always used to describe the act of prayer. Yeah. Specifically, intercessory prayer. Wow. Now, this is the significance of this section because this is the first act of intercessory prayer in Scripture. Wow. This is the first time this actually happens. So Abraham doesn't know how this goes. Just <laughs> God care does God I well, love it I yeah, love you know, it he, yeah, yeah. He, he just doesn't know this is because, great I mean because the gods of the nations around I mean they don't really care and there's yeah. no guarantee but the yeah. fact is God had made promises and he'd called Abraham not just he's not only going to bless Abraham but to be a blessing so uh, this is Abraham's first sort of foray into this mediatorial role mm. of being a blessing mm. let's see how this works, and and it, and it, again, it's it's almost like it's it's like God is acting it out for us to understand, yeah, so we right. can understand it. Like even the point of God saying, "I've heard the great outcry. The sin is so flagrant. I, you know, I need to do something about it." But I'm going to go visit and see it as see if it's bad as it yeah. is. It's almost like He doesn't have to do that. Yeah, He's giving Abraham a chance. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's. <laughs> That's right, and and so what what happens in this chapter is that Abraham stands in between the judgment. You know, judgment yeah. is coming, mm. but Abraham is able to sort of. In some way, absorb that, or, or I mean, and that's a very Christological kind of yes. idea. Uh, really, he is standing in between and stopping the judgment, and instead interceding. That's what standing in between yeah. means, and praying for mercy, yeah. so that actually, so that something might actually change. Mm. And so he says this, you know, says this thing, you know, what if there are fifty righteous people? Far be it yeah. from you to to. Yeah. to to do the wrong thing and, and, and surely you will do the right thing. Appealing to what he already knows that God has revealed about himself, that yeah. he is just yeah. and, he, and he rewards the righteous. Abraham realizes that. So he's appealing to what he already so he knows about He's appealing to God's justice. Mm. That's right. And there's this sense uh, of, as I said, he's stepping gradually into this. So this is where you get this strange yeah. breakdown. Yeah. So first of all, you know, if I find, you know, what, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? And immediately God's response, if I find 50 righteous people. And then Abraham is almost stunned yeah. at the responsiveness of God. Yeah, 
because this isn't, you know, this isn't some fatalistic thing. Well, fate's set up and it's just going to happen. What's yes. going to happen is going to happen. Yes. What Abraham is learning here, know that actually he has a place, as it were, in the divine council. Mm. And that, okay, now God's not going to do it if there are 50 righteous people. Okay, so he's thinking, wait a minute, I- I've just, God's just kind of agreed to something here. So he goes, for 45, what if there are 45 <laughs> there? And and and, and, there's, and, there's, and it goes right the, down all the way to ten. And yeah. each step along the way, you know, Abraham is. Please don't this, be please, angry. Yeah, with don't me. be angry. I'm going to press in yeah, here. Yeah, you know. yeah, don't be angry. Let yeah. me speak just once yeah, yeah. more. All I've of the already, way. I've already started talking. Let me just continue. Like this yeah. is you can hear this. He, you know, he, I yeah. mean, I don't know if he thinks he's going to get struck by lightning for his yeah. boldness, yeah. but you sense that God is is drawing him into this. It's like teaching a child to walk. You know, it's like he takes the first steps. Yes. Like, come on, come on. God is drawing yeah. them. In, he's drawing him in to this intercessory space, yeah. and and so it's you know it's. 30 then 20 and then we get down to 10 Mm. and then he stops there which is interesting uh and then it says at the end when the lord had finished speaking to abraham Mm. uh abraham returned home so the old what's happening here is actually god's communicating something to abraham about who he is yes so genesis is a lot uh, just drawing out to the big picture genesis is a lot about human identity human identity the identity of god's people mm. and this is building into this this mm. is you are what god would later say to israel you are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation you're a kingdom of priests okay and a holy nation it means that you stand separate to the evil of the world to p- play a priestly role to the world mm. so i've already said that there's this contrast between abraham and sodom and gomorrah and the way that they host the presence of god so abraham expresses his distinctiveness in this way. Mm. And through that, he then is able to stand, as it were, as an intercessor in between and pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, again, this is what's confusing about this story, is that they get destroyed in the end because they are not even... And ten. Ten righteous people. It wasn't people. even ten. So let's go straight into chapter 19. It's like we're flipping the comic book page and it says, meanwhile, in Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. the two angels arrive in the city gates yeah. And we get that reflection of Abraham's hospitability, you know, like he's, yeah. you know, this godly act. We see it, boom, with Lot. Lot is waiting. Lot is sitting at, yeah. the, at the gates. He sees the two strangers and he comes and he bows low. My lords, come and wash your feet. Come, you know, I will yeah. look after you. Now, we, whether or not Lot realizes straight away that these are, you know, heavenly you know, yeah, people, it, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know that. That's right. We don't know. It's just... But it's, he, interestingly, he shows hospitality yeah. to the angels. So um, he reflects Abraham's uh, host, uh, hospitality. But then, of course, you get this um, terrible scene mm. where all of the people of the city surround the house and demand that these visitors come out so that... Well, they can basically rape them. Yes. Uh, so it's a you know this terrible scene, and and um, Lot uh, even offers, and I mean this is we can't even think strange. About it. Yeah, I mean he actually offers his daughters to the crowd instead of the visitors. Why someone would do that, we don't know. And this isn't necessarily even making a comment about that. The text isn't mm. necessarily saying that that was a good thing to offer necessarily. Mm. Um, but then the crowd is struck. Blind, uh, the uh, angels say, "Hurry, get out of here!" 
Mm. You know, get out of here. Now, this imperative, and and you know, I mean, so so many of these stories uh, relate to, and the way that these stories are told relate to a lot of what's going to come later in the Torah, and the sort of the the call for holiness, which is such a prominent part of of late of the later Torah, is really this kind of command to come out and be separate. Come out. Yeah. Interestingly, you get this in the book of Revelation. Too. I've been working on the book of Revelation, just finished writing the Thrive mm. edition, and that's so way ahead. But it's interesting to see that same thing reflected. Big thing. About Babylon, you know, the, the this sort of Babylon the Great, which stands for the world system. And there's this come out of her, come out of her, my people. Mm. Mm. This You've got this kind of imagery being used here. Leave right now. Don't look back, mm. you know. Mm. Now, Lot's response is interesting because he still he it's like he wants to leave. He's a bit in between, isn't he? He wants to leave, but he, he w- sort of wants to stay in the region. So he asks, "Can let me move to this town just nearby?" Yeah. As literally hell rains down uh, in on, the way that hell is at least depicted and symbolized from yes. this point on. Yep. Rains down burning sulfur upon upon this region, and so this becomes the sort of. Um, the great, along with the flood, one of the great types of judgment. To this day. To this, to this day. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah mm. is still used in in that way. And we have, uh, you know, this horrible, you know, we, we get this picture of Lot living in here. And it's interesting to contrast this, especially about what's coming next. My mind immediately races to Second Peter 2, yep. where Peter, when talking about the angels and judgment and things like that, he calls Lot the righteous man yeah. who was vexed and, and troubled the entire time he lived yeah. in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And um, we we see, you know, it's interesting to see that, you know, both Abraham, the angels, the Lord, I consider Lot and his family righteous, but the only the four of them get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And even then, Lot's wife can't. Keep yeah, her eyes right. away from yeah. the place. And it's interesting because even the sons-in-law, they stay. Yeah. Yeah. They really don't want to leave. Yep. Lot's wife looks back uh, and Is, it says there that she became a pillar of salt. Now, that doesn't mean like being she turns into yes. magically. She would have probably been incinerated by yep. Yep. this almost volcanic-like thing going on. Yes. And, and because it's a region of salt, you know, we're just in the region of the Dead Sea, yeah. she, you know, ends up somehow uh, covered in uh, covered in salt, you know, as a sort of like a reminder of, you know, it's like hardened in that place. You know, she won't move. She 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 found it difficult to yes. uh, to get out of there. And so she becomes her fate is kind of a reminder yeah. uh, of, of that. And then we get this scene from Abraham back over the other side of the, uh, you know, over the plains there. He's looking out towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees this great, you know, disaster, the smoke, everything, the fires burning up like that. And we get that verse in 29 that, that sort of capstones that whole chapter beforehand. God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing yeah, right. him from yeah. the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Yeah, so so he actually did answer his prayer in that he brought he he brought out the only righteous people in yeah. uh, in in the in the city, um, but he didn't spare the cities. Now the interesting thing about Lot's about Abraham's intercession, you think, well, what if he would have asked just for one? Will you mm. spare the whole city for the sake of one? Well, I mean. The fact is, and I think it's important to point out, and, and this is another factor that this story is uh, is establishing, is this idea, and again, 
a lot of this relates to what's going to happen later on in the Torah. And one of the important, um, one of the important principles that's laid down in the Mosaic Law is this idea that that God will save sinners for the sake of the righteous. Mm-hmm. It's sort of embodied in the symbolism of the sacrifices. An yes. unblemished sacrifice will save a family of sinners. Yeah, you know, and of course we have this uh, idea. Because um, ultimately, well, there's only one righteous person that ever, ever existed, and that was Jesus. Yeah. And it story also points to the fact that, and this is also drawing on this idea that God is willing to save a multitude of sinners for the sake of the righteous. Mm. Well, there's only ever one righteous person, that is mm. Jesus Christ. And because of this one righteous person, God is willing to save the whole world. Now, we've got to wrap up this story of Lot yeah. here. It doesn't finish with the happy ending of him getting out with his daughters. Well, well, it's um, and and the, the next story is is important because it shows how connected the daughters are actually to that system. Yeah, I mean, they they want to have children because their their husbands stayed behind, uh, so they devise their own way to do this. This is mm. it kind of um, is a little bit uh, reminiscent of Abram and Sarah taking things into their own hands. Yes. Um, so uh, they're they're kind of doing that same kind of thing, and so they actually sleep with their father. Which, again, if you read this in the later, in, in the light of later scripture, mm. a, a Jewish uh, Israelite reader or hearer of this story would say, "Oh, that's a bad thing mm. that mm. they did." Yep. So the text isn't trying to isn't trying to justify this. Actually, showing that because in a sense they were tainted by that's the. the point. You know, the, the being living in this area, they yeah. were tainted by their way of doing things, mm-hmm. and so they end, end up wanting to have kids and doing this by incest with their with their father. Yeah, and by, so by getting him drunk with wine, <coughs> you know, going in and doing this, he, you know, and it says, you know, that as before, you know, Lot was unaware yeah. of the lying down and the getting up of the daughters, and as as a result, both Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. Then we have Moab. And Ben Ami, am I? That's right. So the the this is where you get the Moabites and the Ammonites again, traditional enemies of so it's of Israel. So yeah. here you have people do the wrong thing, and later you get conflict uh, yeah. as a result of that. That's quite a consistent theme. So you, so uh, the little text, little uh, asterisk well. there. Put a little note on the wall, yeah. on the wall there. Moabites. Keep an eye yeah. out for them and the yeah. Ammonites. You know where they're coming yeah. from. Look, again, and, and, and I think we can just refer to this now in the light of what we've just seen. Yeah. Then we have a repeat of the kind of scenario. Remember when Abram went down into Egypt and he yes. lied about Sarah being his wife? Yes. And I want you to keep in mind Genesis 18 about the intercession. So Abram's learnt about intercession now. Mm. He's learnt that he can now stand in between. It's not only... It's not only that he has the opportunity to do this, but this actually is his responsibility. Because remember, he's been given this great name or slash this great role, which is what that means, to be a blessing. And that now becomes his responsibility. So Abraham repeats this ridiculous thing that he does where he lies, gets scared, lies. You know, again, faltering faith here. Lies about his wife, goes into the, uh, the region of the Negev, lies to this king Abimelech. That you know, yep, she's my sister. He takes her. A plague comes on Abimelech's house, and uh, but this time the difference is that in the 
sort of interaction between Abimelech and God. Which is fascinating. Which is fascinating. Fascinating. Um, uh, You know, God says to Abimelech, okay, I'm willing to I'm willing to forgive you for I'm willing to take off the plague, but this is how it's going to work. Go to Abraham and ask him to pray for you, and then the curse will be lifted. Mm. So that's the you know where you have a repeated story. Always notice the difference, and the difference here is that okay, first time the plague lifts off Pharaoh's household because Pharaoh realizes gives Sarah back. Yeah. This time the plague's only going to lift. By Abraham interceding, yeah, and so that again is an extension of this, and a, now a picture of this intercessory role. And and I love yet again. I mean this 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 character of Abimelech from the you know the nation of what is it Gerar or Gerar you know something yeah, like that. Yeah. He he's the he's the good guy. You yeah. know he's not doing anything wrong. You know like he, he he acts appropriately. And when the Lord comes to him, he he protests his innocence, and he gets up the next morning, tells his men they're all terrified because. They they realize that they're talking to the Lord God. They're talking to the real yeah, yeah. the real deal. And when Abraham comes before him, he's like, "What have you done to us? You know, yeah. whatever possessed you to do such a thing to us?" Yeah. And and, and uh, you know, Abraham, uh, you know, go, goes on, and then out of that forms a, a, a promise between the two, a covenant yeah, between right. the two. So of course, the play, you know, this curse comes upon the household because. A, a, of course, the promise is those who curse you, I will curse. Mm. So the taking of of Abraham's wife Sarah is constitutes a curse upon Abraham in a sense, and so this curse comes upon the household. Uh, so it's like Abraham makes the mess, but then he also has the means to clean up the mess yeah. through yeah. intercession. Yeah, and I think that is a really significant idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like. We make the mess, mm. but we also have the means by God's grace. We're, we've been given the means to actually clean up the mess, and that mm. is through this prayer and, and intercession. And as you said, yes, then um, he makes this, this treaty with Abimelech and, and he's sent on his, on his merry way. But I, I love this character of Abimelech. And again, we, we, we get, we're going to see yeah. him again in a little while. But I, I love in verse 16 when he says to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother. You know, he, he really rubs it yeah, into yeah. them. He's like, you lied to me and I'm, I'm having to make this covenant well, with you. Well, Abram actually points out that in a way she, it's not yes. a complete lie. That's yes. how he justifies yeah. himself. Because actually... Uh, she is his uh, his half sister. Yes, which I know we think what. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but again, Different this time. is normal for yeah. this uh, for this culture. Yeah. Okay. So we leave we leave uh, chapter twenty there with Abraham and Abimelech. Abraham and Sarah leaving. Abimelech is uh, you know got a relationship with Abraham. Where let's take a quick break and we're gonna we're gonna come back and we're gonna get into. One of the most, uh, you know, the crucial parts of uh, the Old Testament, especially in the life of Abraham. You're with DJ and Matt for Thrive Deeper.
Hey family, DJ here. Really quickly, we want to get back to Abraham, but Christmas is just around the corner. And with Christmas just around the corner, I want to encourage you to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. What do you get that person that is hard to buy for? What do you get for that person who already has everything? A Thrive subscription. That's right. The Thrive Daily Reading Guide is available on hard copy, paperback. If you want to buy them as a subscription, you can do that. Or you can buy it electronically as well. It can be downloaded to your Kindle, to any e-reader that you have. We can look after you for that. All you need to do is head over to thrivetoday.net.au. While you're there, you can ask us a question. You can leave a comment. You can find out more information or even put your name down for our mailing list. It's all there at thrivetoday.net.au. You can do your Christmas shopping there as well. Hey, isn't that a slick plug? Isn't that the slickest plug you've heard today? All right, it's time for us to get back into the life of Abraham. It's Thrive Deeper, episode 80. Thrive Deeper, it's DJ Payne here. Sitting with me, of course, is Matt Jacoby, and we are in our rocket of Genesis as we fly through the life of Abraham here. We have just left Abraham and Sarah, and we are in chapter 21. Uh, we, we open up with exactly what God had promised to do. The words mm. are, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he promised. She became pregnant and gave a birth to gave yeah. birth to a son for Abraham in her old age. And of course that's important because the whole sequence of Genesis and in fact the whole Bible is a sequence of and God said mm. and it was so. Mm. The same sequence that we see 10 times in Genesis chapter 1 is basically going to be the sequence of the whole Bible. We're going to see God says people struggle with that, people try to take things in their own hands, people doubt that, but in the end God is faithful and it's always so. So yeah. I um uh, Isaac's uh, born. Isaac is a play on the word about laughter. laughter. Yeah. yeah, he's the, he is the promised son. He's the chosen son. Yeah. Uh, Abraham is a hundred years old when Isaac is born. Yeah, and then we fast forward a little bit when Isaac is about to be weaned. We don't really read much about it because we sort of got this mixed up view that, you know, when we read about Ishmael and, and, and Hagar right from the beginning, did they leave then? No, they were still with them years later. Yeah. And now we see that all this time Hagar and Ishmael are with yeah. Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, that's and right. And so when Isaac is about to be weaned, uh, you know, there's a big celebration about to happen and Sarah starts giving them the evil eye. Yeah, it feels that um, she's being mocked by uh, Hagar and Ishmael, and so you get this, um, you get this sort of tension, you know, in the family. And of course, this is a result. This is a result of Sarah and Abraham taking things into their own hands. Um, uh, and this is significant because this is going to be very difficult for Abraham because he actually has to send them away. Mm. Um, and and I mean, this you see this happening. Uh, this splitting up like Abraham and Lot split up, but that was because God was going to bless them so much. Mm. And same way with this, okay, send him away because he's going to be he's going to become a great nation himself. Mm. Um, 
But for Abraham, this is really difficult because he's losing his son. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, and potentially in the next chapter, he's potentially going to lose his other son as well. So yeah. this is this is um, uh, again. It's a continual test on Abraham's faith because for Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away is like writing their death sentence. Yeah. It really is. It's it's like sacrificing them to the Lord. Like I might as well just kill them now. Yeah. And so the point here to remember is, I mean, again, we we sort of – We've got to remember that Ishmael is is uh, an older teen yeah. at, at this stage. Yeah. He's 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 not a child. He's not a baby. Yeah. So he him and his father they've got a relationship. This is yeah. his son, yeah. Uh, yeah. even though God has told him he will have another. And 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 Abraham is is heartbroken yeah. about this. But God says, "No, I'm going to allow this to happen. I will bless them. Do yeah. not worry. I will bless them." And almost God is saying to him, "Obey me. Have faith." Sacrifice them for for this, yeah. and I will look after them. And Abraham obeys, yeah. lets them go, piles water on them, gives them provisions, yeah. and eventually we find out that they, uh, you know, they settle, uh, you know, um, you know, in the wilderness. They have a relationship with Egypt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah, in the yeah. future, he goes on to be a skillful hunter, and God blesses Ishmael. God blesses him. So this is, which again, uh, is not to be overlooked because. Mm. The sending away of these two, particularly them being isolated like this yeah. in this place in this time, that is like a death sentence. Yeah, yeah. And so God's asking Abraham to do something that looks very much like God's going to ask him to do in the next chapter with his other son, yeah. which is basically write a death sentence out. For, but God says, you need to trust me. It's like, trust me with your future. Because remember, children in ancient times represented the future. Yeah. they repre- This is your future. Yeah. So God is saying, Abraham, you need to give me your future. L- send Hagar and, and Ishmael away, yep. and I will make them into a great nation because I've blessed you. So the idea here is you need to live by faith in my promise mm-hmm. and, and, and not purely on, you know, what seems... Uh, uh, reasonable, or um, you know, b- by the measure of the culture and yeah, yeah. So forth. What, what, how you how you brought it into happening? Yeah, how you think you're bringing so it into you've happening? Got to, you've got to give, give it, it away. Over. That's right. And, give it and away. So this is important kind of preparation uh, for what happens in the next. Chapter. Yeah, so ch- we finish off chapter 21. Abimelech is back. Abimelech obviously yeah. hears the news about this, you know, Sarah, his once, you know, for one night betrothed wife yeah. that he didn't lay a finger on, having a, a, a son with Abraham. He comes with his with his army's commander. He's like, look, God is obviously with you, Abraham. He's helping you do everything to do. Let us wear another covenant together. I'll be loyal to you. You'll be loyal to me. We'll, you know, we'll get, get a peace treaty happening here. There's a few little bits and pieces to deal yeah. with there's some <laughs> land problems yeah. there but they agree and they uh you know have a relationship where in the land of the um you know the Philistines in Bathsheba there they, you know uh, Abraham worshiped the Lord Abraham lived as a foreigner in the Philistine country there yeah. for a long time yeah that's right yeah and that's the end of chapter 21 we come yeah. now to one of the most studied Mm. Written about, uh, uh, sweated about. Uh, this chapter here has both. Um, what can I say? Well, it's vexed. I mean, it's it's, yes. been, it's really vexed a lot of 
Uh, it's inspired faith. It has, yeah. It's destroyed faith. Yeah. It's rocked everybody. This is chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. This is the story about Abraham and Isaac and God's test of mm. Abraham's I'll just faith. read the first couple of verses. I think that's probably enough to set this up, the yeah. difficulty at least. It says, Sometime later God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And then, of course, it says, Abram got up, next morning loaded his donkey, so forth. Now, the first thing to note about this is that Abraham does not seem surprised at this. Mm. I I mean, like, I know you don't want to read too much. He's obviously, I think, grief-stricken yeah. uh, through this. I mean, let's just assume that, even though it doesn't, I think we can assume that. Mm. And, and it's, it's, you know, certainly in the way that that's expressed, take your son, your only son whom you love. Mm. It's phrased like that, like as though God's saying, this is going to, you're going to struggle with this one. Yeah. You're going to struggle with this one. Ishmael was a test. Yeah. You know, the, 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 yeah. the, the other like, son. Yeah. So now, it's almost like God does, did something with Ishmael. Yes. You need to give him over to me. I know this feels like a death sentence, but you need to give him over to me and I will fulfill my promise. Mm. That prepares him for this one, uh, which is the same thing. So, again, the problem here is that Isaac is the child of the promise. And all through Abram's life, God has been saying to him again and again and again, through Isaac, your offspring are going to come and they're going to be like the stars of the sky. So Abraham, I mean, I don't know what he's thinking at this stage. But the interesting thing is he's not particularly surprised. And that may be because um, child sacrifice yeah. uh, was actually quite a common thing Oof. in the ancient world. It was uh, associated with the fertility god El uh, in that region. Um, it's a feature of a number of different uh, religions. And yeah. in a lot of different religions, it's about giving God... Uh, back um, something. And, yes. and the ultimate thing that you could offer, is it's like son. the ultimate thing yeah. is is one of, of your children. Mm. Now, I mean, it, I should hasten to mention mm. that, again, Genesis sits within the corpus of the Torah, the five books of the first yes. five books of the Bible. And again and again and again, child sacrifice is described as being abhorrent to God. It's yeah. like almost the way that it's described is like this is the worst thing that you yeah. can do. This is the, the most, worst. The most satanic thing This you is can the do. worst form yeah. of idolatry. Yeah. So this that fact of how much God hates child sacrifice mm. sits in strange tension mm. to this story. Mm. And I think part of this is you don't need to do that. Anymore. I mean, l- l- I mean, this is maybe one thing that's yes, going on yes, here. Yes, yes, yes. Like you don't actually need, I don't need this anymore uh, because I have provided, provided yeah. a way yeah. of you being accepted. You yeah. don't need to offer up your children anymore. I have provided a way. Look, yeah. that's part of it. Um, but also the re- reference to a burnt offering, I mean, a burnt and I, th- I think my point there is connected also the fact that it's described as a burnt offering, which is a little bit of a clue. Again, if this is read in the light of the, the whole, Pentateuch, the whole, the, the, yep, the whole Torah, five books, those five books of the Bible, which is has this idea of a burnt offering, which is on the one hand represents the, the giving of oneself wholly to God, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, it represents 
uh, a kind of atonement for sin. Yeah. So the fact that it's a burnt offering, which includes this idea as an atonement for sin. So offer your son, bring your son, give your all as an atonement for your sin. But then, of course, when Abraham goes up and he's about to make the offering, you know, the angel, God yeah, cries angel out, stop, him. don't do that. Well, that, and that one, there's one interchange here that's very, very important. We see a point where Isaac leaves the servants, leaves every, leaves the, the party, and they go walking together, just the father and the son. Yeah. And Isaac okay. here, we don't know exactly how old he is, but some people say that he could be 10 to 12, 13, yeah. somewhere around yeah. that region there. And Isaac is talking with his father and he says, you know, he says, Dad, You've got the fire, you've got the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? So yeah. that lets us know that Isaac knew that in the relationship to God, Abraham would often do a burnt offering. That was part of their, you yeah. know, that was part of their yeah. practice. That was, yeah. part, it wasn't like, what's this crazy wild thing you're doing, Dad? Yeah, yeah. He knew that there was a sheep. They needed a sheep for the, yeah, to, yeah. to fulfill this, and God said, and He says. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Yeah, that's right. God himself will provide a lamb. It's very uh, emphatic there. Yes. And and it's interesting that Abraham, who was previously described as a prophet by uh, God, is prophesying there. Amen. Really. God himself will provide a lamb. And in fact, uh, when he, you know, he binds his son, it's a heart rending Mm. scene. Mm. You know, he binds his son and he's about to. Uh, take the knife and slay his son. But it says, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. To him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then, strangely, Abraham looks over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. Yeah. And that place, and so he offers that as a burnt offering. Yeah. In the place of, and this is an important thing, in the place of Isaac. Yeah. Um, and that place becomes known as the Lord will provide mm. because, as he said before, God himself will provide a lamb. Now, again, in the light of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible where we have the Mosaic law, this is really important because the whole sacrificial system, that this is, you know, Genesis is like a pre-story It's like the backstory that makes sense of the whole Mosaic, everything that Moses does. This... um, Story kind of remains etched in the memories oh. of God's people. Like, I don't require this, um, uh, you know, like I don't require you to try to make atonement for your sins. I don't want child sacrifice. I abhor that uh, because I am going to provide. Yeah. I'm going to provide a lamp for your sin- sins. That is symbolized in the sacrifices. Yes. So the story, so every, the, the sacrifices, um, in the temple, of course, are constantly reminding them of uh, of this right now. Interestingly, also, when a family would have a son, the firstborn son would have to be brought to the temple and offered to God, but then redeemed with a sacrifice. Mm. So you could go home with your son, but you would redeem your son mm. with a sacrifice. That was a practice um, prescribed in the Mosaic law. And the idea then, again, is that it's... Uh, it's like you. It's like redeeming your future. Mm, mm. But of course, as we know, the ultimate illusion here yeah. is to the fact that God would do this Himself. Amen. That 
you know, that the Son of God is yeah. sacrificed for our sins. This is ultimately looking forward to that. And, and I think that's an important perspective on this story. And, and it, With, it, yes. it becomes the sort of capstone that actually makes sense of this, that yes. God is actually through this story and even through Abraham's agony, mm-hmm. God is actually depicting what he will do. Now, I'll hasten to say uh, we need to be careful about talking about the work of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, as God sacrificing his son. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, because again, God abhors child sacrifice. Yes. It's always the way that it's expressed is God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. Yeah. So Jesus Christ is the very incarnation of mm-hmm. God. And yet, but yet the same picture is set up here. It's a clear picture. Of, of the, you know, the father giving the son, as it were, yeah. in fulfillment of this terrible scene with Abraham. So I think that becomes the thing. When you, when you read this story, it's like God is, Abraham is, you know, is representing God in, in a sense. Mm. And, and what God would do in that situation, but mm. even then in that situation, God sort of alludes to that too it's, it's, through providing this lamb. It is so multifaceted, and mm. so there's so many different ways of looking at it. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, I think it's a thing of beauty. I think it's a, a, a powerful uh, foundational, um, you know, uh, picture a type, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, a cornerstone movement to what God is calling us to do and what yeah. God wants out of us. The bit that people struggle with, right, and we'll say so we'll throw it up straight away. The bit that people stumble over and have from since the very beginning is the fact that the the the, the God basically says to him, "Listen, I was testing you because you did this. Yeah, I will now, you know." double down on my promise. Like I wanted to bring you to the point where you had the not, and with there's so many great pieces of art Mm. about this one scene here, you know, Abraham with the knife held high, ready to go. And the angel of the Lord just grabbing him at the last moment saying, stop, do not do it. That's the point where so many people go, I don't want it. I don't want this. I don't want a relationship with a God that asks you to do this. This is insane. Yeah. And, well, the point is that God doesn't ask us to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's this is really what this story is saying. Yeah, you know, it, it's actually God saying, "I'm not asking you to do that." So, this is like this one-off, terrible. I mean, you know, it's it's this thing that Abraham had to go through. Look, I mean, in a way, to Abraham, this would have been a grievous thing, mm. but not strange in a sense, because remember he come he's living in a world where that actually happens. happened. Yeah. Okay. So Abraham's not surprised by that in a sense. In that he even thinks that God has the right to do that. So he just goes ahead as hard as that is yeah. and is compelled to do that. But the whole point of the story is you don't have to do that. Yeah. Or anything like that because God himself has provided a lamp. In fact, you don't have to do this for God because God has actually done something as weighty as this for us. Yeah. And again, this is where this points uh, points forward to not only God, well, ultimately to the sacrifice of Christ and through the sacrificial system. Yeah. This, by the way, is just a little footnote here too. This, is, this fact is signaled by the, the place because it's a three-day, yeah. go on a three-day journey uh, to the region of Moriah. It's mm. like, 
why not go to the nearest hill yeah. and do it there? Yeah. Why a three-day journey yeah. uh, from Beersheba to this place? And where even is this? Yeah. Well, it's actually the only other mention we have of Moriah is in Second Chronicles chapter 3, where it identifies it as the, as the Temple Mount. Wow. So this is actually... Uh, now, look, I mean, there's been some debate uh, over this, but f- for me... Um, you know, because some people say, oh, we, you know, we can't really know. And it's, I mean, one of the things that people say, well, it's not a three-day journey. I did a Google Maps walk. How long would it take to walk from Beersheba to Jerusalem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it said 19 and a quarter hours. Yeah. I mean, that's three, yeah. six-hour days. That's yeah. exactly a three-day journey. So exactly. I, I don't get that. Also, you know, th- th- one of the arguments is, well, he gathers up sticks and there were plenty of woods around Jerusalem at the time. So Gee, great. I, I, Great argument. Well, he didn't know that before he left, and maybe he's delaying here. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, uh, he's so, taking his time. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I think the best evidence would certainly point to the fact hundred percent that, and it's the region of Moriah. Yeah. As, as, so, and um, in Second Chronicles three, it talks about Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mount uh, yeah. actually is. Fantastic. So it would have been there, and of course, Jesus is crucified. Yeah. Not actually just. Uh, I mean you know, short walks distance yeah. really from the temple. Uh, the temple Mount, but in that same region. So in a sense, a- Abraham is going to the very place where God would uh, give up his son for mm. our sins, where God would, you know, d- do this very similar kind of thing. I think there's, it's rich yeah. in, oh, it's in, in this sense. It's powerful. It, Inc- incredibly, incredibly powerful. It's also, th- it's also interesting. Just going to the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, and and you referred to this before, and I, I'll just say this before I forget. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, um, God says to Abraham, uh, you know, your descendants will take possession of cities of the enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he comes back to that promise again, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Here it says, "Because you have obeyed me." Yes, that's the line. Now, this is an interesting one because all all along. All along, the the promise is is kind of unconditional. It's it's a what we call a unilateral covenant. Covenant, I'm going to do this for you. Yeah. However, what is true all along the way is that Abraham does have to exercise faith. I mean, the first thing he had to do was to leave his country and his father's household. Yes. Now that's massive in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Massive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it actually it's like that is a death sentence for yourself mm. um, to, to isolate yourself and go off. So he's already done that. So this is actually pointing to the kind of life that one has to actually live to live in the stream of this purpose. Like yeah. if you're going to live in this purpose and for that to be true, it's not, it's not that you earn it by your obedience, yeah. but by trusting God and going with God, just doing what God says, yeah. it actually allows this to actually happen. Mm. Um, so... Uh, you know, in order for Abraham to be have this priestly role to be a blessing, yeah. he's going to have to do what God says. Yeah, I, I obey, and, and that's, that's the key there. And that's the pattern for us. Uh, now, when when friends and, and family are coming to this passage, when you might be thinking about this yourself, when you're coming to this passage, you're reading it. I, I mean, again, I know that the ultimate answer is we don't know. Some people will say. Abraham stood out in faith and was able to do this because he thought that God could rise him from the dead. Yeah. Or miraculously do something else. That's what the writer of Hebrews says, that Abraham reasoned that, well, God must be 
can raise him from the dead or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he would have had to have. He would have had to have. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, how, how could he get? Because again, yeah. the thing that's at stake here is his future, is the promise. Mm. And so, what is Abraham trusting God for? He is trusting God that somehow he's going to get Isaac back all yeah. along. Yeah. He's because you think. What kind of man is Abraham? Because this is the other question. What kind of man is Abraham? That he wouldn't just say, no, get lost. I'm not yeah. going to do that. Yeah. Well, uh, and the answer to that question is that he's a man of faith because he actually truly believes that God is faithful, that he is going to get Isaac back yeah. somehow. Wow. It, it, oh, it's, it, it, as many times I've read it, many times have I've wrestled over it, I, I'm at peace with it now. I know for some people it's, it's still a... It's still a a boxing match, you yeah. know, this chapter. It still feels like I'm. I, you, they've got to wrestle with yeah. it. But there's something, especially yeah. as you already mentioned, I think, I think the thing for us that might be different for a lot of people is that without the light of the New Testament, without the light of Christ, without the light of the rod of Hebrews, without the idea of what Paul talks about that faith is... I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could sit alone with yeah. this chapter. It, it, I know it would be very difficult, and that's why I, I said I think. It's God that asks Abraham to do that because God did this. Mm. Or he, at this stage, he would yeah. uh, do this. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay, now we, we, we wrap up this. And we, let, let me just, uh, and yeah. I know you want to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who I wrote my... <laughs> I, was I, I, gotta, for, yeah. I was waiting for the Kierkegaard gotta, drop. <laughs> you know, who... Um, uh, I wrote my doctoral thesis on, on Soren Kierkegaard, so I have an affinity uh, for his work. He wrote a very famous book now. It's yes. one of the classics of philosophy on this story. Yeah. It's called Fear and Trembling, oh. where he grapples with this story. Because yeah. and, and for, for Kierkegaard, this, this, the fact that this happened in history, it puts, it reshapes everything. It's like it, it puts the whole life of faith out into a realm way beyond what is rational, yeah. you know. And and at his time, there was a lot of a lot of emphasis on uh, sort of rational justification and all this sort of stuff. And yes. and Abraham uses this story to say, no, actually, faith takes us way beyond where reason can go and what even seems reasonable. And if Abraham would have stopped that, stopped there, he never would have stepped into this. Realm and, and and Kierkegaard, you know, pictures it as like you know, faith is like stepping out over seventy thousand fathoms, mm-hmm. you know, over this great watery abyss and walking on the water. Yeah. This is how you know he pictures it, and he bases it on this. And and but his his grappling with this is really honest. I mean, he starts off the book by um, constructing alternative narratives of of how this happened, and, and just to underscore the difficulty, yeah. you know, like for example, one is you know like. God provides the lamb, but they go home. But Isaac can never forget that his dad was, prepared, you know, and his and and Abraham never quite got it. And it's like he's trying to imagine yeah. different ways of grappling with this, yeah. but it's preparation for him saying, in actual fact. And it's interesting. Kierkegaard says, you know, he he says, look, at the start in his introduction, which is just a beautiful piece of writing. He says, look, I can understand. Hegel, uh, you know, was the most complicated philosopher at the time, but he said, I cannot understand Abraham. Yeah. You know, I, I, I cannot understand Abraham. So he's yeah. grappling with this story and pointing to the fact that this actually helps us to see that faith is like, literally, it's like walking on water. 
it's mm. it's going to take you way outside mm. of what you can grasp what's going to seem reasonable and right and just it's all about response to the voice of god and doing what god says even if it seems absurd <laughs> um and i think it's a beautiful reminder actually that we we are called out to a life that's all about our responsiveness to god and i hear beautiful interaction where god says abraham and abraham says here i am lord here i am it's like he's in that place of faith he's walking with god and the the promise of blessing is going to be fulfilled because he simply walks with god well I told you we were getting to a high gear. We just went through Genesis 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. Five chapters in one episode. Can you believe it? My goodness, what a uh, crash course we've just done there in uh, the later half of Abraham's life. Absolutely fantastic. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I could spend all day talking about Genesis chapter 22 alone the testing of Abraham's faith. I hope that our tiny discussion about it today maybe led to some questions, maybe led to some prayers as you sit down and think about it with God. That's what I encourage you to do. Read it again and read it openly with God. Ask him to teach you what he wants to teach you out of it. It is a beautiful chapter, so rich in so many different ways. All right. Better not start the podcast all over again. We'll be back next week for episode 81. In the meantime, head over to thrivetoday.net.au. We'll see you there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you were reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's Word and thrive.